Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us tonight on Sweet Liberty. Uh, today is Wednesday, of course, as it is uh, whenever I am here filling in. No, yes, yeah, for Darren Weeks, as the actual host of the Sweet Liberty broadcast now. And today is uh, the 30th of August in the year 2005. I'm walking around looking for a pen, so excuse me if I seem a little distracted. Uh, okay, I have my pen, and I want to say thank you again for joining us tonight. Um, I want, I'll start with our spiritual message here, and, uh, and then we'll bring up our guest, Alan Watt, who's with us this evening once again. This is from A Course in Miracles from the text on page 168. Nothing beyond yourself can make you fearful or loving because nothing is beyond you. Nothing beyond yourself can make you fearful or loving because nothing is beyond you. And Alan Watt, thank you for being with us this evening. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. You, you, just, you just give me a picture of myself in the mirror in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes you fearful? <laughs> oh, that's what I see. Well, yeah, I forget it's me until I see myself. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever gone up to a mirror and got real close and looked into your eyes? Uh, I don't think so. I did it one time. I, I And I don't know what made me do it, but I, I was there standing at the sink and and I leaned on the sink and I got real real close and I was looking into my eyes and Alan it was a very weird feeling uh-huh. and I said who are you yeah. <laughs> that I'm looking at who are you yeah and try it sometime it's similar when you, if you're praying you know if you look at a mirror you'll notice that you're talking to yourself ah <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah. That's not so far-fetched, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, everybody who does it is actually doing that, too. Everybody who prays. Yeah. Yes, that's what I said. That isn't so far-fetched. That's right. Given that we... Uh, the kingdom of heaven is within us. The kingdom of God is within us. We are one with our Creator. And that that makes sense, what you just said. Yeah. Is that how you meant it? Yeah, I always give two or three meanings in a, in a, in a sentence. Well, give, okay, give us all three meanings. Oh, no. Would you please? Why, Alan? Why would you uh, say okay, that? for another show. No, no. No, no. Why well, would you? The, the kingdom is in you, so is the kingdom of hell, you know. Well, what is hell? And, and that's, in other words, it's a decision what kind of life you're going to make it for, oh. other, for other people. Sure. And people never ever look at that point of it. They have the ability to create heaven or hell uh-huh. right here, you know. Yes. And generally, even the ones that think they're creating a heaven because of the mass man of today, uh, they're creating an actual hell. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. In other words, the more attached we become to the physical and the material world, the, the more hellish it becomes because the further we are in consciousness from our Creator. Yeah. It's also an inevitability in the system that I wouldn't say that we've chosen, it's been chosen for us. 
that we go along this path, it, it can only lead to where it's going. It can't go anywhere else. Because, uh, I mean, before the Industrial Revolution, you had a pe you had, even though people were mainly serfs and conquered, etc., uh, there was still a, uh, the remnants of tribal life, at least for the people. They had histories, oral traditions, they had community. Uh, they didn't have technology. With technology or, or the Industrial Revolution came the era of mass man, the mass man. Uh -huh. We stopped talking about individuals and talked about the masses. And today we're on that path of being part of the masses where bureaucracies are running their whole lives for us. And it's getting worse. When you talk about that, the people then, before the pre-industrial, uh, there were the elite, there were the filthy rich, oh, yeah. and, uh, and, the, and the more well-off, and then there were the people who were not just surviving but living. Uh, I think about what, what I pictured in my mind when you said that. Uh -huh. Our people, as you said, who lived maybe in small villages, and they had their ups and downs. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have, you know, huge homes and all of that. But they they had each other. Yeah. And they had family. It meant something to them. Yeah. Um, and they did have a rich culture. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a rich culture with all its traditions, its folklore, its yes. histories. It was all oral tradition, and it was all passed on. Um, today we we are part of the mass market, you might say. Yeah. And we're, we're we're looked upon by the managers as being the masses. So we're not individuals anymore. They don't care about little you or little me with our dreams and hopes and aspirations. We're just uh, uh, so and so that got A's or A pluses all through their school and what they can do with you, how much they can tax from you, how they can use you, and hopefully you'll die off before you can collect your pension. That's how they see you. And, and they format it like that, too, as coldly as that. You're not a person anymore. Yeah. You're a psychological creature with instincts and drives, etc., etc., etc. For our listeners who may be new uh, to the broadcast and haven't heard this or read it, on our website at sweetliberty.org in the children's section, there's an article that says, uh, is titled, Are Your Children Human Capital? Uh, to confirm to the nth degree what you just said, what we are to them, yeah. and um, and human capital is extremely valuable to them. The woman that wrote the article, Cindy Weatherly, uh, yeah. uh, was looking up the word assessment, you know, for assessment tests, yeah. and she couldn't find any, any definition in all of her educational material. So she went to the Dictionary and assessment means to assess somebody for their future value. That's right. For their value. In fact, that all came out with Karl Marx and the gang around him. It wasn't just that Karl Marx was a he was a front man for a quarter for a whole bunch of people, and they talked about every man uh, will get re rewarded uh, according to his means. And so, in other words, the, even then, they categorized you as to your class. Was, communism was actually a class, very, very class conscious. In fact, it was a scientific definition, you might say, for the first time, of creating a new type of class structure, uh, different from the old class structure. 
and codifying it into law with intelligentsia and scientific and all the workers beneath them. And uh, so you were to get rewarded according to your means. In other words, if you belong to a certain class, uh, they would decide how much you should get paid, how much you would need. How much you how much you would need? Uh-huh. You would be paid according to their assessment. Right, of course. But but you would be paid according to your class, according to right their assessment of yeah. your needs. So uh-huh. in other words, if somebody else was in a position uh-huh. similar to yours, but they were in a higher class, mm-hmm. their pay would have been higher. Yes. Uh huh. And and when you really see that the the communism. Was, was given by the same banking boys that already controlled the capitalism. It, it was, they were actually making it a more efficient system for themselves by making this a, a, syst- a true system under a science, a supposed science, um, where they could officially stamp you in a class structure. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Yeah. So you'd, you'd have to go so far back before money even came across the seas, etc., uh, and throughout Europe uh, to get a true uh, idea of, of what real life was because we don't know what it was anymore we don't know how people lived naturally at one time we just don't know anymore we, we know some things before the Normans came through the Normans brought the money system and the religious system that backed it they, they brought it into Europe and, uh, uh, and, and usury and all the rest of it the debt system and even though they brought it in in the 11th century into Britain, it um, uh, uh, had already been known for thousands of years. Well, what did they have before then, Alan? Well, the people uh, generally bartered. Okay. And the tribes themselves, they grew their own stuff and they, they had their own cattle, etc. Okay. So uh, that was a real communism. Uh, that was a true, communal living. True communal living. It wasn't Marxist. It wasn't... Uh, Leninist or any of that they came along eventually. Right. Uh, it, it, it was survival for the whole tribe, and and no one went hungry. I mean, they didn't. Uh, they didn't like the Eskimos. They didn't put the elderly out on an ice floe to die. You know. Did they say that again. Whoa, whoa. Oh, they didn't put you out on an ice floe to die. Yeah. Uh huh. So everybody, because the, the, the older people were respected for their wisdom. Yes. Today, in this this uh, valued system the scientifically created valued system, uh, when your production uh, uh, ends, you become just a consumer. And so I've talked about before, the United Nations has already classified a good citizen of the world to be a producer-consumer. So when you just become a consumer, uh, you, you, you don't, uh, you're, you're a second-class citizen. You're ready for the scrap heap. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we have talked about this before. Yeah. And I want to mention this to our listeners who've heard this. Uh, you have mentioned this before that it seems to be uh, generally that some that a person, many people, have to hear something six, seven, eight times before it suddenly gels with them. Eight times they've done studies. Yeah. Eight times. Uh-huh. That's taught in mass marketing, apparently, now in universities. They know all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but that's that's the truth of it. Uh, as we race along and this agenda, and it is a plan. It's not just evolving haphazardly. It's it's always laid out in advance. Um, they know where they're they're taking us, and they've given us enough authors to to verify it. 
from their own group, that is. Uh, they said it would take us to a time when the changes would be so quick, scientific changes and so on, which also create cultural changes uh, that the people themselves will say, stop, we've had enough, we can't, just, can't keep up with the changes. Really? Yeah, that H.G. Wells wrote about it. What, what's going to happen when they say, stop, we can't keep up with the changes? Well, then he would often, his own little spin... Well, yeah, what is the plan? Oh, yeah, well, his little spin that would go off to the stars, basically the creme de la creme. And uh, you have to go into his non-fiction books, the H.G. Wells' non-fiction books, to realize that they, they would simply do away with uh, the ones who were useless. As you go into Hinduism, which is what's taught today, and has been for donkey's years under the term the New Age, which was a Masonic creation, but it's basic Hinduism, uh, when you go from one age to um, the next age, it's interesting to note that those who are unable to make the leap must not be allowed through. Through what? Uh, through life into the next age. Yeah. You mean if there's any any individual uh -huh. that speaks out and doesn't and isn't conforming okay, to the okay next. conforming. And, and, okay. Yeah. And not predictable. And it's basic theosophy, which is Hinduism, and that's what, again, is taught in the meditation classes at the United Nations, the meditation room that uh, Rockefeller goes to. What, this is taught? Yeah. Would you... Okay, you say that it's taught. Uh-huh. Are they actually saying this in words, or is it in code? that they're saying uh, it, Alan. I would say to you, okay, I would say to you the way they say it. Okay, do. Um, life is like waves. Uh, generations are like waves. And as they go towards the new, uh, at the center, you might say, from, from, the, from, the, from the outside back to the center, uh, then eventually those that were the old waves fail to reach it. And to be new, they cannot be allowed across. That's what the that sort of way they would they would, they would, they would couch it. I'm actually being a bit more forward than they would. Uh huh. But their higher initiates eventually get the, the message because the see Hinduism itself is based on evolution. Uh, that's where Darwin's theory came from. He was preaching the Masonic doctrine, which had always been taught in the mystery schools of evolution. Uh, are you saying evolution of the uh, human? <laughs> Yeah. Or all the physical. All the stuff about from the slime to, to, the, okay. to the water creature to the land. Gotcha. It's pure Hinduism. Gotcha. Yeah, pure Hinduism. Because there is a form of evolution, evidently, or something, Alan, uh -huh. uh, when you uh, look at the change, let's say, in the animals from, let's say, way back, when the horses were really tiny little things, mm -hmm. and today the horses are big. I know there's those little midget horses or whatever, but... You know, the the mountain lions were probably four times as big as the ones today. Yeah, but the different species. See, there were many, many species of, of creatures, including horses, all different sizes. Oh. Uh, it isn't that, that, that the small ones got big. It's that the small ones died off. Okay, so in other words, uh, in the history that is given us, uh -huh. they I don't recall ever them showing, you know, bones or telling about horses that were really tiny and horses that were the same size today? 
what I recall is them using like a graph and showing... And, that, and that's the big lie of evolution. Okay, that's they, what... Which okay. they, they have nothing to back it with. To okay. And even Darwin was challenged on that. So in other words, that was lies by omission. Yeah. They never showed that there were different species yeah. of horses. It's only fairly recently they've started to admit, well, there was different kinds. It wasn't there was there, there was uh, uh, ape men, etc. They said there was different types of humans and apes and chimpanzees and monkeys all living at the same time, and the other species died off. That's that's what I've been now teaching over the last well, quite a few years. And it, do so, you do you okay? Let me ask you this: your at least your thoughts on it. Uh-huh. Were they? They talk about um, the missing link. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, they're not... This missing link isn't between ape and man, uh-huh. but it's between a form of mankind and another that was more erect and and had voice and et cetera, and that they all... They were living here at the same time. Uh-huh. Is that true? Yeah, that's what they're starting to admit now, because the, the more they uncover, they're finding the skeletons that are just the same as ours uh, at the same time period as they had these ones that were claiming. But, and remember, most of the stuff they've told us before was built down man, etc., that was taught as law in schools. It was all a fraud. It's all exposed now. They were, these are pig's jaws, but on a, uh, a gorilla's head. Oh. And that was taught as fact, and people got degrees based on thesis, etc., uh-huh. on that nonsense. So there have been liars from the beginning because there's a Masonic doctrine behind this, which they must stick to. You know the question then that just blasts into my mind? Uh-huh. Where did all these different species come from, Alan? Yeah. Well, that that's... It's, it's not so much of where did they come from, where is it going? No, to me, it's where did it come from. Uh, If there were several species of man, and there are different colors of man, Mm. different uh, 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 nationalities, if you would, of man, Uh where did they all come from? Uh, You know that's never been explained to me, not in anything I've ever read? No, because it can. Well, what is your... At least they won't. What are your thoughts on it, Alan? Uh, That's... Hours and hours and hours of stuff. You often ask me a question, and I can't give you a drive-through answer. <laughs> a drive-through answer? So, yeah, it would take so much. Do you know how many times I've asked this question to you on air? I know, but to give a proper answer, you'd have to give a, a whole talk. On well, then why don't more you... More than one talk, in fact, you've got a lot of talks. Okay. And that's what I'm going to do on the next series of, of this I put out. Oh. Because there's too much to, to just... Uh, but nobody's there to question you. It doesn't matter. The, the thing is, is to, you're asking a question which I, I would be failing people if I gave them a drive-through answer. You have to educate people up to a state before they can understand what you're about to say on certain things. Alan, you're talking to an, a listening audience, many of them that have been listening to you for eight years minus two. If you're asking a question, Jackie, uh, that, that I'd have to go into whole different areas of archaeology uh, anatomy, uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of things, and what's been discovered, the debates I've had over the last three centuries, uh, and so on and so on and so on. It's not it's not a snappy answer, because if I did, I might mislead people. I mean, that's a profound question. Where did they come from? 
Well, you do recall me asking this, don't you? I know, but the thing is, it's too snappy an answer. I know, okay. But this isn't a new question in my mind. Yeah. And it isn't a new question I pose. Um, But but the main thing is, what we are doing is looking at where we are going, because we know where we're going. Maybe if we knew where the hell we came from, we'd know, we'd understand better where we're going. Um... Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. But the fact is, as I say, in the religion, that, that under many different guises, you can go back to India, you'll find that they, they talk about ages. Yes. It's just time spans, so that people can understand what the, the time spans are talking about, they call them ages. So they sort them into categories of time. Well, may I ask? And, and they talk about uh, the stages of man and the types of man that they go through. Now, now we also find that in the Greek. We talk about the different ages of man and stages of man, right up through the iron man and so on, you know, and bronze, gold, iron, etc. <coughs> these are whole religions that you take separately at a time, but they all have that in common. They talk about ages. Uh, okay, I, I guess, you know, no, I guess I didn't. I was thinking that for example, they say, okay, we're moving into the age of Aquarius. Yeah. That in that astrological, in order to, that each uh, astrological sign is 20-some hundred years. Yeah. And so it takes 30... That, that's one, see, that's one version. Uh, and Plato, Plato also uh, gave it that same definition or, or time period of the 25 and a half thousand years. Yeah. Uh, so, and sometimes they'll call it uh, the Platonic year after Plato. Oh, really? Uh. And other other times they'll call it you know, the, the the Grand Circle of the Zodiac. Okay, as but opposed to the annual one, you know. Okay, and is that isn't what they refer to though when they're talking about ages? It, it's much more um, on on an, on one level. It is is to do with the, the types of society or, or the, the changes society would go through in every every age where a particular constellation dominates for a, a period mm-hmm. of, of the 2,000 odd years, you see. And that's why Jesus uh, was a sign of the fish. Right, Pisces. And uh, he was a fisherman of men. Uh-huh. And, and then we're going to the age um, uh, of Aquarius. And Aquarius is a new type of, even though it's a water sign, which is female, it's a male and the reason for it being a new type of man is to be created for Aquarius. And when there's no conflict between male and female, then they'll have completely won uh, the battle of all conflicts. That's and y- you're talking about their desire to create That's right. a race of hermaphrodites. That is right. Yeah. For, for slaves, that is, not for themselves. Because Charles Galton, Darwin, and, and um, others have mentioned that the elite themselves wouldn't change themselves, uh, but they would change... Oh, they'd remain male and female gender? Pardon? Well, like, in their class, their elite class, Uh they would still have males and females? Yeah. Not hermaphrodites? Because it's not just a hermaphrodite that will be, you know, like a couple of guys holding hands, uh, or whatever they are. (laughs) It's to be be a specially... uh, You'd be bred specifically like Brave New World, like Huxley's Brave New World, you will be bred for the task they have designed you for. Decanted. 
that's right, you'll be brought into the world with that task. And just like an ant or a bee is programmed in its genes, then you would be programmed for the task that you do. And you wouldn't be born unless they had a task for you to fulfill. This is the, this is the age of, of, of statistics we're living in, where so everything is numbered, counted, weighed, balanced, function, etc. This is where it's going. If, if, if they're successful. Yeah. And so, you know what I was just thinking, their dream is our nightmare. Yeah. That they, as you've said many times before, they've gotten very... Hello. Hello. What? Hello. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, what's happening? I haven't the foggiest idea. I haven't moved. <laughs> I heard beeps and things. Oh, I heard a funny buzz. Um, uh -huh. What I was going to say is that you have said many times before they've been very, very close, and as we see, they've never been successful. If they were, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's right. And so, therefore, what they dream about. That would be a nightmare for us is an illusion for them. It's their own illusion. I wouldn't their... say so. I wouldn't say it's because it hasn't. It hasn't been successful in the past. It could not be in the future. Well, but that, you... uh, that truly is up to a different thing altogether. Why? Uh, How this has been going on for millennia, you said. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's why, and people have asked me this, why on earth did it take so long to go from one phase to the next? I mean, look how long it took them to adjust society from see, an agricultural uh, status before the Industrial Revolution, even longer in, in the U.S., uh, they already had industrialized the main cities in Europe. But, but uh, literally within a matter of uh, 10 years, they'd emptied all the people from, this, from the country into the cities to work in their industrial age. And, and, uh, and then and eventually bring in a form of socialism. Socialism again is the, is the statistics the weighing the functions the bookkeeping everybody's tab monitored etc for a function a purpose as a part of the mass and, and they've been so meticulous and careful even dishing out the technology to dish out everything they give to us is obsolete the latest whatever they give us is absolutely obsolete do you remember the old comedies called get smart well yes i saw it a couple times well, but back then, I think they, they, they did them in the 60s, but they gave us the reruns in Britain in the 70s. Uh, you saw the iris scan in a comedy show. Okay, they, well... They, they showed you the pan print as you get through a door in comedy shows. They showed you watches with the TV. They showed you the cell phones uh, that the, the spies had in a comedy show. They showed you solid-state circuitry before we'd even heard the term in comedy shows. Whatever they give us is actually obsolete. And it's not for our benefit, it's for their system to make it more more secure for themselves. Uh, they couldn't even do this without the computer. They, could, they couldn't get to where they want to go to how do you without know they, the computer. How do you know they didn't have computers? I didn't say they didn't. Oh, okay. Well, they, they didn't they, make it, they, they didn't they make it before. They gave us the computer to make it easier for them. Say again. They gave us the computer to make it easier for them. Okay. But what I'm because saying is in ancient times, uh -huh. the, the civilizations, at least we've read or been told, that uh -huh. there were very highly advanced civilizations. So, and you talk about Sumer. Uh, 
of course, then they've got tablets that they were writing on, I guess. Mm -hmm. But maybe before Sumer, Alan, yeah. maybe in Atlantis, mm -hmm. that there were civilizations that had the, the technology. It's, it's possible, but they've certainly had computers for a long, long time. Yeah. And not the huge, bulky things that show us in the old movies. Oh, really? The ones with the little just boards? Uh, and the little tapes and all that uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and the walls. And, you know, the first one for the United States military was called C-A-I-N, Cain. Really? Yeah. And what did that signify? What did... That's the priest. The priesthood. The priesthood. Oh, shoot. Okay, look. We're, we're going to take about a three-minute break. Uh -huh. And we'll pick it up here. Cain, that computer. Uh, the priesthood. Yeah. Okay. Because Cain is, in the Old Testament, is uh, allegedly a person. Okay, we'll be right back, folks, with Alan Watt. Stay with us. Okay, we're back, Alan. Yes. Okay, you you mentioned that the first military computer uh -huh. uh, was uh, called C-A-I-N, Cain. Yeah. And when I ask you, what does that mean to them, you said it's the priest, the priesthood. Yeah, they, 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 I think they gave it the term through computer-assisted intelligence. Network. Oh, sure, but... but, but but, yeah, I mean, it, it was happen. their own little cute little code, yeah. and that relates to the priesthood. Well, Cain again, this allegory of a Cain, was the one uh, that was born supposedly, uh, meaning born of wisdom, intelligence, as opposed to the, the profane people around. That's what it means, because the whole Masonic structure is, is um, you, you might say it's a form of intellectual racism. It's an elitist structure. Uh -huh. And uh, they have plenty of dodos at the bottom themselves. And even Albert Pike said that the low masons are no different than the profane themselves. They just use them. Um, but the ones he the called top. it the blue, the outer portico, didn't he? That's right. And they're in, uh, uh, and and they're it's intended that they will believe that they know what's happening or that they're given the truth. Yeah. And, and yet, the ones up at the 32nd degree, and it's no big deal getting up to the 32nd degree. Not these days. Uh, you just pay your way up, and uh, uh, and then they'll talk about the profane, the profane, the profane, as though they, they knew it all, but they know very little, really. Uh, because that's not the, the high levels either, that's just the bottom. Do 32nd degree Masons look down on others? Yes. In their own minds? Yeah, some of them have told me that. Because they actually do sit and, and sort of boast about how smart they all are compared to the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Smart or knowledgeable? Mm -hmm. Do they say smart or knowledgeable? Uh, knowledgeable, uh, <coughs> perfected, you know, because it's called the right of perfection, remember. They believe they've been perfected. Mm -hmm. Because they've learned virtue, yeah. Well, they learn virtue. Yeah. What, is it? what are they taught about virtue, Alan? Well, you, according to them, you see, this is the old nobility uh, terminology. Okay, but... And, and if you ever want to have a good definition of it, you should see the movie called Rob Roy. Rob Roy? Yeah. I've got that on tape. Okay. And I've never Rob watched Roy, it. You, you find when uh, uh, Rob Roy McGregor goes to see the, the lord of the land, uh, the, the lord makes a little quit at him. He says, my goodness, uh, Roy, he says, uh, you'd almost think you were meaning part of the nobility of the royal blood. He said, oh, of course, that's impossible. In other words, it was the, the, the defining line was it was, uh, it was so obvious in those days to them 
you were either a member of the commoners or you were a member of the noble blood. The blood. Uh, and so you were either profane or, or elite, you see, um, wise. And then, of course, only the nobility they claimed could have virtue, you see. But yeah. what is their definition, definition of virtue? Uh, again, that's because I, I'm thinking of yeah. a particular 32nd yeah. degree Mason that I knew. Uh -huh. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There was no virtue in this individual. Yeah. Well, so uh, what is what are they given as the definition of virtue? Uh, it's what they call the noble qualities of, of um, oh. honor. He makes the honor and so on. Okay. If you look up the virtues, what the virtues are, there's a categories of them. Okay. And uh, trustworthiness, honor. Uh, you're, you're, you 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 honor your word. You don't give it uh, loosely. You, you you follow up what you promise. Um, you, can, you also honor your oaths, that's a big thing. And the oath too, the Masonic. Uh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, so all of that's to do with their virtue. So they pay their money, they get drunk an awful lot, and they, they, they're told to repeat after me for their degrees, and then they forget it all because they can't remember what they went through in the first place. It goes so fast. So suddenly they become enlightened, and suddenly they're all very virtuous. Uh -huh. But that's the low end of the... Because above that, you have the noble orders, you see. When you remember... Uh, well, maybe you don't. I do. The first phone call that we ever had together. Yeah. You had called me after a broadcast one evening. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked you because, you know, you started talking. And, oh, my God, I found myself pressing the phone up against my ear till it was almost going through my head. And suddenly uh -huh. I said, excuse me, why are we having this conversation? Yeah. And you, and when you didn't answer, I said, well, I mean, why did you call me? And when you said, well, I've been listening, and I see that, you know, the, you've almost got it, you said, mm -hmm. but not quite. And when I asked you what not quite was, you said, oh, I couldn't tell you, it's too awful. And when I got, like, a little indignant and said, wait a minute, if you've been listening to me, the truth, no matter how awful it is, I want it. And what you said to me is you said... Well, I'll just give you a clue. It's all about the blood. Yeah. And, I, and you didn't go any further. And I don't think I ever asked you actually to explain. And, and the two things in my mind, what you were uh, alluding to, were the bloodlines and the blood sacrifices. That's right. The bloodline, blood sacrifices, uh, a religion based on, on that. I mean, you... You always find they have a blood <coughs> sacrifice before the major wars, or before they want a special event, or even as a token before they go the next step for a war, where it's, it's uh, bringing down towers with people in it or whatever else. There's always a sacrifice mm. required. Like uh, uh, Pearl Harbor? Yeah, always. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, and then the war itself is an ongoing sacrifice of blood. Uh, because the, the blood that was spilt in wars, I mean, literally, you're talking about billions of gallons over yes. the 20th century. Yes. Incredible, incredible, you know. Alan. And, and yet, they keep telling us that there's going to be peace. It's interesting that, that they wrote an old plan, the old plan called Revelations, uh, that um, by peace he would destroy many. You see? By peace he would destroy many. And we're seeing it today under the, the auspices of we're, we're heading towards peace with a new world order as we slaughter more and more people. You know. I told you that Brian Merchant, the man that I heard later was the head of the National Security Council, uh -huh. uh, when I asked, he, he said that the president 
has the war-making powers. He's the commander-in-chief. Uh-huh. And I said, no, only if he's called into the service of the U.S., and that would be an act of Congress. Uh-huh. And only Congress can declare war. And uh-huh. Brian Merchant said to me, however, under international law, uh, uh, peacekeeping is not defined as war. Is yeah. Right? Yeah. That's it. That's right. And that was what George Orwell talked about, the use of terminology to completely alter your perception of an event. Yeah. And so we call them peacekeepers. Yes. Now, it looks like a soldier to me with his grenades and his belt and his big machine gun and his, and his, his boots yeah. and, his, and all the rest of his insignia. He's a, a soldier is a soldier is a soldier, no matter what other title you want to call him. Right. And, and, and our perceptions are altered through propaganda all the time. Uh, from from the top, all our countries get the same stuff uh, of how they're over there to create peace. Now the Romans, the Romans invaded most of Europe, uh, brought in the money system even then with them. Luckily, it died out after they left for a while, till the Normans brought it back. But but the, the, the Romans came in, made everybody use the money system, then they started taxing it back as labor. You see, this, this is what this all is based on: is usury, taxation, and labor. And, and 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 when you talk about the Normans uh-huh. bringing in money, yeah, um, I have to go back to the Old Testament and the story of Joseph in in Egypt. And after you know the famine came and the people had given all their grain to yeah. them to store, and they so they came when the famine came, and he said, "Okay, you can have it, but you have to buy it." And yeah. then they and then- they. But, but it said in that Old Testament that allegedly was written thousands of years ago mm-hmm. the, that he, they said, okay, the, the people paid for the grain that they had grown and then they said, Joseph took the money and took it to the Pharaoh. And you see that he created a depression <laughs> because the, the money supply dried up. But yeah. they literally said the next time they came they said the money fails. We'll take your land the next time. Yeah, I and know, but they to... used the word money then. What were they using for money then, Alan? Uh, well, it wasn't that, that. See, that's an allegorical fable. <laughs> About what's going to on today. No, it's meant to conceal a real priesthood that, that was there for thousands of years before. Mm. Uh, because, this, see, at one time, all peoples in the Middle East, and all peoples, all cultures, um, uh, in fact, it happened all over Europe. You'd have a granary for the people because you had to get through a winter, especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. And you had to get through the season, and it was dished out gradually as, as, the, as the winter went on. And the rest was actually given out by the, the headman, the chief at one point, uh, for your growing. You see? And every person was given a portion, an equal portion to grow. But in the Middle East, the priests caught on to the fact that they could give out so much grain. At, at, at so much percentage on, on return value. So we'll give you so much pounds of seed or whatever, and you, you, you bring out so many, so many, um, uh, so much uh, corn back or whatever else okay. that we're growing. Okay. And so they, they were all use, using an interest scheme before they used coins. Okay. And that began in the Middle East. That scam. But they and did once use they got the coin in, which is about 800 BC, that scam really took off, and then it increased the, the tithing up to 10 percent. So, so as you as they give you so much seed as well, they ask for the same amount back in, in actual grain plus ten percent. 
then it kept going up. This is an oldest dodge in the book. An oldest, even the but they called it money in the Old Testament. Uh, they also called it different terms, which is... You see, there's so much allegory that's uh, uh, right. only explained to very high Freemasons. Okay, but let me even, ask even you that. Even the term seed doesn't necessarily mean people or but your offspring. Say again? Even the term seed does not necessarily mean your offspring. Even that has double meaning. Well, what would so, the other so, meaning be besides offspring? Okay, they used to give sacrifices to, see, uh, Moloch was one name. Some of them called it Milcom, which in, in the West they called it Malcolm. And the, the hands were outstretched, it was a burning fire, it was a brazen fire. You throw much of your yield into that fire, that was put, putting the seed through the fire, they called it. That was one version of it. Uh -huh. And yet they've also dug up the Phoenician version where they actually did uh, burn babies and they found urns yes. uh, where those little charred remains are. Uh, so, so there's always at least two or three versions of the same thing in all of these religions. And every religion has this, the same inner religion or priesthood within it at all times. And somebody told me that that meant that this, these people that were dancing around the fire, that it was actually their sperm. Their well, I don't seed. know. Okay, you never heard that. No. Okay. No, but um, but they certainly had... Uh, there's so many allegories buried in with religion because religion is as old as can be. Uh, of all kinds, and the con men uh, who have always understood how to get people to work for them uh, have used religion to, to guide and steer, control and profit from the masses. And religion has been the perfect institution up uh -huh. until now. And even now, that's why Gorbachev said we're creating a new religion for the world based on earth worship. He doesn't mean bowing down to the earth. He'll have a bureaucracy, a new priesthood they'll make you live according to the terms that they claim is good for the earth. You see? Mm -hmm. Which is X amount of children, if any at all. Uh, and no doubt event. One down the road will be like Logan's Run where the, the older ones are just killed off. Yes, or like the giver in uh -huh. the book for the children. Yeah. For our listeners, uh, folks, for those of you who have children who are in the uh, the public... Uh, government indoctrination centers we once called schools if you haven't heard of the book The Giver your child will probably read it and it would be very very um, important uh, for you to get the book you can get it in the bookstores it was given a, a prize a literary prize it, it, it's a child's version of 1984 only it's so ugly that it's pathetic and it would be good if you could read that book with your child to help them through it because they for the most part they're getting it in the school it's called The Giver and there is one particular segment of that book in this community uh, where the, the, the story uh, revolves around that no two people you know could have the same name or be alike when twins were born the twin that was the lightest got sent elsewhere. And elsewhere, they described the procedure, fifth graders, this is recommended for fifth grade reading. What are they, nine, ten, nine years old in the fifth grade, Alan? Yeah. Uh, where in the book, 
the, the caretaker, the nurturer in the nursery, uh, t- took the baby that was going to be sent elsewhere and very descriptively in the book went to the cupboard and got a needle, which the young boy who was watching thought he was going to get, quote, vaccinated. They, he stuck the needle in the soft spot in the baby's head and the baby quivered and went limp. He was dead and he was thrown down a garbage chute. Uh, I'm sorry to draw us away from that, Alan, but that came to my mind. Yeah. And it's really important for our listeners who have children to, to understand that their children are being fed all of this to inure them to... Uh, what is another word I'm trying to... Desensitize. Thank you. Desensitize them. Yeah. And, and same with all the movies being brought up with and all the, all the video games that have been brought up with where you just go kill, kill, kill to the end of the game. And that's all it's about, really. Uh, so, so sure, uh, our mind, you might say, our, our culture, our thoughts are given to us, trained into us scientifically, as Bertrand Russell talked about. And he should know since he helped design it. And uh, they've, they've done it. They've been very, very successful. You can see it today. Um, Maurice Strong at the last Earth Summit that he had, and he only read the summit that was made up by Rockefeller. That's who wrote it. Wrote it up. Uh, Maurice. You Strong know for said, sure Rockefeller wrote it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Maurice Strong said, um, "We have to destroy what's left. The, the last vestiges of the family unit. That's the only thing standing in the way." of government, which will be then confronting the individual, straight to the individual, nobody in between. Government the individual. You won't have any friends to stand up to you, for you, your family to stand up or help you. If you notice, that was actually done at, uh, at Louisiana when the hurricane came in. They didn't allow people to go and help their neighbors. Only the government was allowed to do that. So if your neighbor was on a roof and, and they fell in and they were drowning, you weren't allowed to go in and help them. There was um, a man from Florida, I believe, and he might have been a National Guard. Uh-huh. He rescued some people. Uh-huh. And they were going to, I don't know, whatever fine or punishment um, that he was going to get because he stepped out of his designated role. He wasn't there to do that. He was there to keep. Yeah. You know, the peace, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Follow the rules. This, this was in a newspaper article. Yeah. He was called down for rescuing, saving the lives of a couple for of people. For being human, he was going to be punished. For being human, he was going to they be punished. They don't want uh, human emotions um, because that can work two ways. People can stand up for people if they're being picked on or persecuted. But when there's no one to stand by you, especially in a family, uh, then it's government straight to you. Yeah. That's what happened in the Soviet system uh, and, and um, where they used to come in and, and they would call the whole street out, you know, under their laws when they were going to arrest a, a somebody in, a, in an apartment. And let people see the arrest? Let them see it. And uh, then they, then they would... Um, Solzhen Easton talked about it. He says, we should never have allowed this to begin. He says, when they first came, these two or three men with their pistols and so on, he says, we should have grabbed axes and killed them on the spot. Right. He says, because once it starts, he says, you become used to it so quickly, you, you want to just turn away. You're only it's glad it... Common. Right. I'm yeah. sorry. You're only glad it wasn't you. 
That's right. That's what they do. And that's when you're, you're going into a state, an abusive state of, of dejection. That's where you become. Um, you, you feel worthless, hopeless. It's meant to make you feel hopeless as well and to make you completely comply with every ridiculous law that comes along. I want to go back to what you said about this man being punished because he was being human. Yeah. Uh, I, it, the thought that occurred to me is that this is where the choices come in every single time. Yeah. You know, we talk about this a lot, mm-hmm. the choices that we make. Yeah. Every choice we make, every moment of every day, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And, um, and somebody who would say, oh, I'd like to save those people, but, geez, I'm going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're lost, aren't they, Alan? They're yeah, already they're lost. They're uh, already lost souls. This is also the technique which they wrote about in the 1800s that they would create in the time of the mass man, where everyone was dependent on money to survive in a job, especially with government or, or armies or police forces. Um, you would hear the term "I was just doing my job." Mm-hmm. How many times has that been said? Or somebody who doing my job. Somebody who stays in a job uh-huh. that they know is. Uh, wrong. Very wrong. Uh-huh. And they say, well, I have a family to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, many times the people who stay in that job to, yeah. quote, feed their family, yeah. basically what's behind that is all the toys and whistles. Uh, yeah. The toys. They think it's security, yeah. Well, that they want. They, they want yeah. And they have to have this, quote, high-paying job or this level of income in yeah. order to live the way they want. And you and know, therefore they can rationalize anything. Yes, can. and you know what it does come down to it, it, is that they're no longer living; they're just surviving. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean about about we talked we talked about once before that people can kind of sense they can kind of sense they can give up spirit. You can give it up. You can give it up, you know, because there are decisions you make all through your life that that that, 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 that go on beyond just this. And when you when you decide to profit at someone else's expense uh, and, and towards their dismay and their discomfort or their death even uh, and, and use that excuse that, well, I was all just doing my job. Yeah. Well, you've just, you've just cut yourself off from, from everything else from then on. In fact, you, you don't even qualify as a human anymore. You're a robot. Before we uh, end this broadcast, uh, I want you to tell our listeners about the DVD that you have ready to go now. Yeah. It has been ready, and there was a... Uh, a glitch. Thank you. Yeah, in the formatting, I received my disc, my DVD, mm. and it works beautifully. Oh. <laughs> and uh, my sister and I sat and watched it. Very, very interesting, Alan. Yeah. Uh, well, once again, and you know, and I'm not saying this, to say, oh, well, you know, my sis isn't aware or anything, but you, you were in some very extremely heavy uh, conversation. And I was uh, thought that, well, maybe she wouldn't be interested in this. Yeah. She was totally engrossed in the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, and not that my, because my sis and I, of course, we've talked about a lot of things, so she's not unaware but it, she's never heard the conversations, these types of conversations that you got into. 
uh, in the DVD and laid it out, and she found it extremely uh, fascinating and enlightening, to coin a phrase. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so tell our listeners about it. We've got about four. Yeah, it's different from the usual. I don't go into just all of the details of what's happening today and what's going to be done to you tomorrow. I go into a much deeper philosophy to show you where it's come from uh, down through the ages up to the present time and it's meant for the thinkers not the reactionaries um, you think before you do any reaction hopefully and uh, this goes much deeper in a sense into the occult as well and, and the religion behind all of this which is in, in all religions at the top and takes you where, where they want us to go so it's uh, and it's different. It's, it's not boring. It's not boring. It's broken up with music and stuff. So um, it, it's and the music matches the topics. So you know. Enjoy it too. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And how can they get it? Uh, look into the, the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Okay. And uh, you'll see the it listed there. And uh, the cities work well. These these discs. And it's titled um, uh, a Reality, reality Check Part Two. two. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Wisdom, esoterica, and time. Okay. And the address is there, yep. and uh, how to order it, making sure that it's uh, international postal money order, etc. Yeah. Okay. That's it. And it's thirty dollars. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's a thirty or thirty-five. I oh think. shoot! I'm sorry. Yeah, it's one or the other. Okay, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the first in the, the, the esoteric line. And uh, it, it's it's worthwhile watching. It's, this this type of thing hasn't really been done in this type of way before. You know, and there were some of the um, oh, what am I trying to say? Not the Masonic symbols, but the words that yeah. you gave us the meanings of. Yeah. And I still didn't understand it. Uh-huh. And I'd like to uh, make a note of it and ask you for me. Yeah. And maybe any other listener who didn't quite get that, mm-hmm. because. Some of this goes over my head, Alan. Well, do it off the air, because I'll spoil it for the ones who haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll have to watch it again and write it down. Yeah, you'll, you'll get it, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, well, we are out of our hour. Yeah, And we'll, we'll be back next Wednesday night, folks. And um, do be sure to tune in to Sweet Liberty Monday and Tuesday for Darren Week. Darren has a, an excellent podcast deep in documentation and his own commentary and Darren is the webmaster extraordinaire of the speedliberty.org website Alan, we'll see you later thank you